Chapter 4 Tom came home late that evening. He smelled like wood smoke and barbecue sauce. My mom and dad and I were already at the table, eating dinner. My dad had his injured ankle resting on a stool. We were having broiled chicken and potatoes and veggies. As he walked in through the kitchen door, my mom said, Tom, how was the big cleanup? They showed some of it on the news. Tom came into the dining room and took a chair across from me. It was okay. We filled two dumpsters full of garbage and dead branches and stuff. Hey, what happened to your leg, old man? My dad winced. I tried for a shot I shouldn't have tried for. Twisted it. Did you have enough to eat? My mom asked Tom. Tom patted his stomach. Burgers and dogs and chicken. Not as good as your chicken, of course. Actually, your father cooked. He cooked by calling Gourmet Express and having it delivered. But I did microwave the sauce, my dad said. That counts as cooking. Tom winked at my dad. Well, the stuff at the barbecue had to be better than dad's chicken. Good thing I ate there. Just for that, you get no dessert, my dad said. And it's cheesecake. From Santorini's. Oh, Santorini's, Tom groaned. I take it back. I apologize. I grovel. I beg. I love Santorini's. Homer came in, sensing it was time for table scraps. Hey, Homer, Tom said. He scratched him behind the ears, and Homer got his happy moron look. The look where his eyes glaze over and his tongue lows out of his mouth. A totally normal scene, around a totally normal dinner table. No one would ever have guessed the truth. In my brother's head was an alien, a creature from another planet. I asked Axe about how it works. Axe is the Andalite we rescued from the bottom of the ocean. He's one of us now, I guess. Anyway, I asked Axe about how the Yurk slug lives in a person's head. He'd explained it to me. How they can flatten their slug-like bodies. How they can sink between the crevices and cracks of a person's brain. How they melt like a liquid into every available space. How they wrap their bodies around a brain and attach their own neurons to human neurons. Tom must have noticed me staring at him. What's your malfunction? I snapped out of my daze. What? Oh, nothing. I was just thinking of something. You were staring at me. You were staring at my forehead. I forced a laugh. My mind raced to think of a joke. Really? I thought I was just staring blankly into empty space. But then again, empty space, your head, what's the difference? It worked. Tom snatched up a dinner roll and chucked it at me. I caught it in mid-air a split second before it would have hit my face. For a moment, we just glared at each other. Don't throw food, my dad said. It's undignified. It's okay, I said. Tom's not fast enough to hit me anymore. He slowed down, lost his touch. Tom raised an eyebrow. Don't push it, midget. I smiled. It was a fake smile, but it was the best I could do. You used to be faster when you were still on the basketball team. I guess hanging out at the sharing all the time, eating barbecue and potato salad, must have slowed your reflexes. You know, in the old days, Tom would not have put up with that. He would not have let me challenge him and get away with it. He would have had me in a headlock and given me a massive noogie till I begged for mercy. But now, he just gave me a cold, uncertain smile. Maybe it was because he had changed. Maybe it was because I had changed. The silence stretched between us for a few minutes, and my parents, feeling uncomfortable, made small talk. I have homework to do, I said at last. May I be excused? 
Come back down for cheesecake later, my mom said. Tom caught up to me on the stairs. I don't know why you're so against the sharing, he said. A lot of the kids in your school have joined. I guess I just don't like to join things. Yeah, well, don't dump on what you don't understand. What were you doing that was so important today, while I was out cleaning up the park? I stopped and turned to face him. I was one step higher than he was. We were eye to eye. Me? I wasn't doing much of anything. Hanging out with Marco. You're a loss, he said. There are things that are cooler than hanging out with Marco. Cooler than being on some bogus team. Important things. You could be a part of something. Bigger. You could be a part of something great. Not just another nothing kid. He gave me a look. Like he could tell me incredible things. Like he could open up a whole new world for me. I could be part of something bigger. Something important. I knew that kind of stuff worked on some people. That was the first step toward becoming a voluntary host. That was how the sharing started you out. Talk of bigger, more glorious, more interesting things that you could be a part of. Thanks, Tom, I said. But I don't want to be a part. I guess I'd rather just be one person. On my own. One little nothing kid. For a split second after I said that, he let the mask slip. For just a moment, I saw an expression of pure arrogance and contempt. Yerk arrogance. Yerk contempt. The look said, We will have you sooner or later. You and all the rest of your weak race. Then it was gone, and Tom was shrugging like it was no big deal. I went to my room and did some homework. Later, I went back downstairs and ate cheesecake along with my folks and my brother. One big happy family watching TV and picking out. That night, I had the dream. A dream that had begun to appear almost every night. Chapter 5 I can't believe we're actually going to practice a morph, Marco said. We never practice. We just do it. And when it's a huge disaster, we try and deal with it then. We need the practice, I pointed out. We're going in as spies. We're doing this thing to try and hear what they're saying. And it takes a while to learn how to use the cockroach's senses to understand sound. This would be a great horror movie. Or at least a book, Marco said. Roachman. We were in Marco's new apartment. It was the first time we'd ever used it. Probably because now that Marco's dad was back at work, they had moved into a better place. I guess Marco used to be embarrassed over his old place. In fact, his dad was out, working late at his new job. I hoped the job would last. Marco had been carrying a big load of family problems for a long time. Is it possible to die of total willies? Cassie asked. I mean, do you think we could someday just gross ourselves right out of existence? I didn't even like touching a cockroach. How am I going to stand becoming one? Just don't stand near a mirror, I suggested. And don't look at each other while you're morphing. Are these creatures frightening to humans? Axe wondered. It's amazing how quickly we'd all gotten used to the fact that this guy from another planet was with us. I barely even thought about the fact that an Andalite was standing there, looking like a cross between a blue deer, a mouthless human, a goat with eyes on the ends of its horns, and a scorpion. The scorpion part is the Andalite's tail. It has a curved, scythe blade on the end. The Andalites can whip that tail forward so fast you don't even see it move. I sat on the edge of Marco's bed, 
Tobias perched just inside the window, looking fierce and angry. Although, of course, he wasn't. Speaking of odd things I was getting used to, I mean, I was there with an alien, my cousin, my best friend, and Cassie, and they were all getting ready to become roaches. Except for Tobias. And the weirdest thing of all was that it didn't seem weird anymore. I watched as they all began to morph. I looked away when it began to get disgusting. When I looked again, there were four cockroaches on the carpet. Okay, Thought spoke to me. We're bugs. Let's get this over with. Because I have to tell you, I have a major urge to step on myself. Okay, I said. Can you guys hear me? Go ahead. We're ready. Say something. Thought spoke. I couldn't tell which roach was him. All roaches look alike. Hello, I said loudly. Wait, I felt something, Cassie said. Tobias, tell them that was me. That was Jake, Tobias translated into thought speak. He said hello. Okay, Jake, do it again. Say hello again, Marco instructed. Hello. Yeah, I felt some vibration there, Rachel confirmed. Hello. That sounded like hello, Cassie said. Jake? Marco said. Say, I'm a huge dork. I'll see if I can understand it. You're a huge dork. Very funny, Marco said. I couldn't actually hear what you said, but I know you. We spent about an hour with Marco, Cassie, Rachel, and Axe, learning to translate the vibrations into human speech. They were repeating the learning I'd done while I was stuck in a roach motel behind my refrigerator. When they demorphed, I looked away again. My dreams had been weird enough lately. I didn't need any help having nightmares. Cassie is the best morpher in our group. Even better than Axe, who's an Andalite, after all. Usually, she can kind of control the process a little. Once, when we were morphing birds... She managed to turn totally human, except for keeping huge bird wings, for a few seconds. It was really cool. But even Cassie couldn't do anything to make a cockroach morph attractive. It was disgusting. Flat out disgusting. You have such wonderful animals on this planet, Axe said, when he returned to his normal form. Not that his normal form looked very normal, standing there in Marco's bedroom. Cockroaches are not wonderful. Rachel said, shuddering a little. I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't like those bodies. They're easy to handle, though, Marco said. Not like ants. We all exchanged a look. We'd had a very bad experience with ants. That was one morph no one was going to be repeating. You know, guys, this mission doesn't really require all of us to go, I said. Look, I said roaches are disgusting, Rachel protested. I didn't say I didn't want to do it. We need to know what's going on with that hotel. The best way to do that is to crash the leadership meeting of the sharing. And the best way to do that is with the roach morphs. End of discussion. She looked around belligerently, like she was daring anyone to disagree. Yeah, but I could do it alone, I said. What's going on with you? Rachel asked. You know we're the five musketeers. One for all and all for one. Six musketeers now, she corrected looking at Axe. What are musketeers? Axe asked. No one answered him. They were all just looking at me, like I'd done something wrong. Normally, I'd be all for staying out of trouble, Marco said. 
but I'm just curious about why you're acting this way. It makes sense. One of us can go it alone. Are you worried about Tom getting hurt? Cassie asked. Count on Cassie to figure it out. I looked down at the ground. Look, he's my brother. You guys are my friends. What if we get into it and it comes down to a fight? Marco raised his eyebrows thoughtfully. He understood. We don't hurt Tom. That's the first thing. It's not that simple, I said. He's involved in this big time. He's one of them. And he would... Look, he would kill any of us. I hated having to say that, but it was true. Not Tom, Tobias said. The thing that lives in his head. Never Tom. I sighed. I had this dream. I almost stopped talking right there, because I felt like a fool bringing it up. I know this is stupid, I know dreams don't mean anything, but I've had this dream a couple of times. So? Tell us, Rachel prodded. Okay, but don't laugh. In the dream, I'm in my tiger morph, and I'm stalking Tom, following him, on his trail. I'm feeling the tiger's eagerness, you know, that predator feeling, the hunger, the desire to kill. Tobias turned his head away. I knew why. Tobias was a predator now. He felt that eagerness, that killing desire, every day. It still bothered him, I guess. He had always been such a gentle guy, back when he was fully human. Anyway, in the dream, I'm hunting my own brother, only when I get close, he turns around. And it isn't Tom anymore, it's... I stopped myself before I finished the sentence. I'd already said too much. I just don't want anything to happen to Tom. I said lamely. It's not just about what might happen if there's a fight, it's... Look, I think Tom is important to the whole hospital plan somehow. I think maybe he's in charge. If we manage to stop this thing, who knows what they'll do to Tom. I mean, maybe Visitor 3 just kills Tom's yerk. But we've all seen Visitor 3 in action. He likes to make examples out of anyone who fails him. He could kill Tom. Rachel whistled softly. If we succeed, Tom fails. If he fails, Mr. Three may kill him. That's about the way it is, yeah, I said. So what do we do? Marco asked. We forget this mission, Cassie suggested. And leave the Yorks in control of the hospital? A little factory for making controllers? I countered. Why? Because my brother may be hurt? Yes, Cassie said simply. I hesitated. I wanted to agree. But how could I justify backing off for selfish reasons? We don't have to make a final decision now, Marco said. We can go in, learn what they're up to, decide then what to do about it. I met Marco's gaze. I wondered what he was thinking about me. Only Marco and I know about his mother. To everyone else, she's dead. Only the two of us know that she's really a controller. That her body is the host body for Visser 1. Marco, of all people, understood what I was dealing with. He had given me a way out of deciding. Yeah, I said, nodding at my friend. Marco is right. This is just a spy mission. There's plenty of time to decide what to do, when we know more about what they're up to. I should have felt relieved. I didn't. Chapter 6 How long do you think this will take? Rachel asked. She checked her watch. 
I set the VCR for two of my favorite shows, but I forgot to tape the movie of the week. I'm taping it in case you miss it, Cassie said. It was dark out, but not very late. The moon was up, but hidden by the clouds. We were walking along the street, doing our best to look like a normal bunch of kids just hanging out. Normal. This sucks, Tobias said from high above. I'm half blind at night, especially without the moonlight. I should have gotten myself stuck in an owl body. Owls are so cool, aside from the fact that some of them try to kill and eat falcons. How can you ever run in these bodies? Axe wondered. Two legs? It is absurd. Surd. Absurd. Absurd. Not even a tail to help you stay up. Axe was in his human morph. It's a combination of DNA from me, Markle, Rachel, and Cassie. The result is kind of like looking at all of us at once, but in one body. It's really weird. Axe had almost gotten used to having a mouth when he was in his human morph. Almost. He still had a tendency to want to play with sounds, repeating them. Plus, the boy was dangerous when he got around food. The sense of taste was just overwhelming for him. You know, Axe, now that you mention it... Marco started gyrating wildly, like a guy out of control. I only have two legs! I'm falling! Falling! See? I knew it must happen sometimes, Axe said, adding, Happen. Hap. Happen. I wasn't sure if Axe knew Marco was being funny or not. Axe might have a very dry sense of humor, or he might have no sense of humor at all. I hadn't figured it out yet. There's the place, I said. It was up ahead, at the end of the block. It was a residential neighborhood, with older houses and a few kind of low-budget shops mixed in. You know, thrift shops and car park places and small restaurants. Our target was a single-story, whitewashed building. There was only one door, and the windows were high up, narrow and long. They were blocked off so that no one could see inside. There was a small parking lot with a dozen cars in it. Over the door was a sign. The Sharing. Building a Better Life. Yeah, right, Margo sneered. A better life for slugs from outer space. You notice the guy standing by the door? He looks like he's ready for trouble. A very large man stood by the door, muscular arms folded over his chest. But we'd expected that. Marco and Rachel and I had scoped the place out ahead of time. Okay, we cut down this alley, I said. That building down there is abandoned. The basement is empty and unlocked. That's where we morph. The basement was dark and depressing and smelled of mildew. I guess it used to be part of a restaurant. There were still some old tables strewn around. There were also a lot of old beer bottles and bits of garbage. Wonderful, Rachel said in a whisper. This whole Animorph lifestyle is so glamorous. Tobias flirted in through the open door. Then we heard a thump. Ow! Man, who put a pillar there? Banked my right wing. Great. This is the guy who's supposed to be looking out for us, Marco grumbled. Axe had instantly begun to morph back to his Andalite body. It is not possible to go straight from one morph to another. Just like we have to return to human form between morphs, he had to resume Andalite form. Come on, let's do this and get it over with, Rachel said. I'm going to be a roach in a filthy basement. My mother would be so proud if she knew. Wait, Cassie said. 
We agree on how this works, right? We're not looking for a fight. This is a spy mission. No one do anything dramatic, like morph into an elephant and go on a stomping spree. Cassie was looking at Rachel. Rachel had an elephant morph. She's very fond of it. Rachel laughed. Absolutely. Spy time. Stealth is my middle name. Okay. I was a little embarrassed that Cassie had brought it up. She was trying to remind everyone that Tom was one of the controllers in that meeting. Trying to remind everyone that we were just there for information. Let's morph already, Rachel said. Come on, I'll miss the movie. Five little roaches. We'll be right at home in this dump, Marco said as he began the transformation. You'll keep rats from eating us, won't you, Tobias? Hey, I may not see that well in the dark, but I can still catch a rat, light or no light. I am the rat killer of the universe. Axe, you ready? Yes, Prince Jake. I am fully Andalite and ready to become your roach. A few moments later, we were five cockroaches amid the scattered garbage on the bare concrete floor. Wow, that is one big beer can, Marco said. A blue and white can towered over us, carving a way into the sky. Let's, um, scurry, I said. Axe, you keep track of the time. We took off, a little knot of fast-moving roaches, all running in the same direction. You know, if this weren't so gross, it would be kind of cool, Rachel said. Stairs, all right. A little vertical rock climbing. Tiny pincers on the end of my six legs grabbed the small protrusions of concrete and wedged into invisible cracks. It all happened so fast and so automatically that I could run straight up the cement step, almost as fast as I could move horizontally. Up the riser, over the edge, zoom to the next riser, up, over, across, to the top of the four stairs. You know, you guys still give me the willies, Tobias said. You should see yourselves. The urge to step on you guys is pretty strong. If I had shoes, I never did like roaches. This from a guy who disembowels live mice for lunch, Marco said. Don't knock it if you haven't tried it. Tobias shot back. In some corner of my mind, I noted the fact that Tobias seemed more and more at peace with his weird life, half bird, half human. But mostly my mind was on the job at hand. We had reached the threshold. We scampered across it and out into the alley. The alley was a mix of gravel and cracked, torn-up blacktop. The blacktop was like running across hard oatmeal, all bumpy and uneven. The gravel was more difficult. The pieces of rock were as big as we were, and even with our six clever legs, there was a lot of stumbling and slipping. I'm going airborne, Tobias said. You're out on the sidewalk. Turn left. There's better light out here, so I'll be able to watch you from the top of the telephone pole. Okay, we better spread out. Don't forget, these are controllers. Yurks. They believe there is a group of Andalite warriors running around loose. In other words, they'll be on the lookout for morphs so act like normal roaches. You mean I should crawl inside an open box of cereal? Marco asked. I had that happen once. I almost ate the bug. Yuck. We fanned out, staying several inches apart as we moved toward the building. I stopped when I reached the whitewashed cinder blocks of the exterior wall. Crack! Cassie called. I found a big crack here. I'm going in. The rest of us waited. I felt obvious just sitting there, obvious and helpless, 
The big guy at the door could decide to step on me. I couldn't see him, but I knew he was there. This is good, Cassie said from deep in the wall. I think we can follow it all the way inside. One by one, we scurried to her location. I felt better when I was inside the crack, until I thought about what would happen if I tried to demorph in such a tight spot. I didn't even want to start thinking about that. We're going in, Tobias, I called to him. Get somewhere safe. I'm cool, he said. Good luck. We were traveling single file, sideways along the crack. It was like exploring a cave. There was no light, but my antennae felt the way, picking up the scent of the others, reading the tiny air currents, sniffing for familiar aromas. Then I saw a faint light that grew brighter as I advanced. Cassie was in the lead. It worked. It goes all the way through. I'm inside. I sidled up beside her. I could see through the crack opening now. I could see brilliant light, and I could feel vibration. The vibration of sound. Of speech. I concentrated. It was impossible to tell much about the voice. Who it was. It seemed too high to be someone old. Was it Tom? I listened to the words. The day is here at last. It is time to strike the decisive blow in the invasion of Earth. What is this, a yerk pep rally? Marco wondered. Cassie started giggling. Well, thoughts beat giggling. And pretty soon, all of us, except Axe, were laughing silently. It was a very nervous laughter. We need to get out of this crack, I said. Spread out a little. We look too obvious just sitting here, and we should try to see if we can identify some of the people. Move out. But wait, not all at once. Too late. We were all scampering down the wall from the crack to the floor. To anyone watching, it would have looked like invasion of the roaches. Five roaches moving all together is an easy thing to notice. But I had forgotten one thing. Humans hate roaches. A human will spot a roach very quickly. But Yurks couldn't care less. Even though these were all human controllers, they were with their fellow Yurks now. They didn't need to keep up the human act. No one stomped us, although I waited for a big shoe to drop from the sky. We separated a little, then headed along the edge of the wall, where bare concrete floor met painted cinder block walls. Hey guys, can you hear me? It's Tobias. Just barely, but I can still understand you, I called back. Thought speak gets weaker over distances, same as regular speech, although walls and so on aren't a problem. There's a car rolling up outside here, a limo, and there are two other cars with it, full of very tough-looking dudes. What are they doing? Getting out now, like six guys. They have guns. I can see them under their coats. Now there's a guy getting out of the back of the limo. Who is it? Or should I say, what is it? He's human. He staggered a little, walking toward the door. He looks like a normal guy, but all the other guys are acting very nervous, and... I know this sounds dumb, but I get a bad feeling from this guy. Now I could hear the vibrations of many feet walking fast. They're coming our way now, Tobias. Thanks for the warning. I tried to use my eyes, but they were hopeless at any kind of distance. All I could tell was that several men had arrived and were marching through the room. My brothers in arms, some loud booming voice said. I present to you our leader, Visser Three. There was a gasp from the group. 
There was a silent gasp from us, too. Visser 3? Visser 3 had an Andalite body. He was the only Yurk to ever obtain an Andalite body, with all of its morphing power. But surely, Tobias would have mentioned seeing an Andalite getting out of a car. I see that some of you are surprised, a new voice said. Surely you must know that I can morph a human, as well as any other body. Oh man, Marco said. Visser 3 can morph a human? Certainly, Axe said. Just as I do. Humans are animals, after all. You have DNA. The voice we now knew as Visser 3 spoke in a hard, curt tone. It was odd hearing his words. We had only heard him thought speak before. Now he had a voice, and if we could only see it, a human body. But it was too far away for a weak and distorted roach vision. This mission has two parts. One, we will use the front hospital to take involuntary hosts. I expect to be able to make 200 new controllers per Earth month. We will concentrate on police, broadcasters, writers, teachers, people in finance, and especially anyone in a position of political power. There was a murmur of excitement from the assembled crowd. Just what we were afraid of, I said. Unfortunately, Marco agreed. Man, 200 new controllers a month? You have done well recruiting human doctors and nurses so that we now control the hospital facility. But this brings me to the second part of this mission, Mr. 3 said. Until now, this secret was known only to me and a very small group. The room was almost totally silent, listening, anticipating. The second part of my plan is even more important than the first. In a few days, the governor of the state will have some minor surgery performed. His secretary is one of us, and she has steered him to our facility. He will check in for the minor surgery. When he checks out, he will belong to us. No, Rachel gasped. What does it mean? What is a governor? Is this some sort of prince? Axe asked. Yeah, a prince. The governor controls the state police, I said and the National Guard, and the schools. It's worse than that, Rachel said grimly. Don't you guys ever pay attention to politics? What are you talking about? Don't you know? Our governor is getting ready to run for president next year. A year from now, there could be a controller in the White House. A White House? What does all this mean? Axe asked. It means that one of them could be the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on Earth. I said. And that would be the ball game, Marco said. Then all would be lost? Yeah, Axe, all would be lost. Hey, Phantomorphs, thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. It's your host, Daniel, and I am very, very sleepy right now. That's it. I'm just, I'm just tired. I didn't sleep very well this week. I don't know. Like I went to bed on time, which I don't do often anymore. Like I kind of set, you know, a personal bedtime for myself so that I'll know be nice and fresh in the morning. And like, I don't know, like Sunday night went to bed at, you know, like 11 sharp, which is good for me. Usually I don't get to bed till 1130 or 12, but I got to bed at 11. I was like, yes, I'm going to be refreshed this week. It's going to be good. And then I just laid there. I couldn't, I couldn't get to sleep. My ass was up till 
2, maybe 3 a.m., and that's just kind of carried out through the rest of the week. I haven't been able to make up that time, I guess. Science says that's not how sleep works, that you don't, like, have to make up sleep, but it sure feels that way. Boy, am I sleepy. That's enough rambling. I'm going to get to the plugs. It's not really plugs if it's my own show, is it? I'm going to get to the stuff, you know, the stuff. If you liked what you heard, you can hear more at audiomorphs.podbean.com or Audiomorphs on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, give us a, give us a review and a rating. If you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. That is... Is that it? I think that's it. Okay, I'm... I'm gonna take a nap. No, I'm not. That's a lie. I'm gonna stay up till 11, maybe 11.30. I'm just gonna keep, keep being tired. The week's almost over. Whatever. We're just going to do it. Goodbye. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.